Thanks for joining us for today's message. Here at Temple Baptist, we're a church on a mission, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. Well, today we start a brand new series about a man who lived on the edge. you know any men who live on the edge? <laughs> In the movies, there's people like uh, Peter Parker, Jack Ryan, Jack Bauer, James Bond, Ethan Hunt. And billions of dollars are spent by guys to watch these men perform uh, at their best. I've lost count as to how many times these guys have saved the world. Men who live on the edge. And Samson is one of the original bad boys of the Bible who really lived on the edge. Not just the cutting edge, but the bleeding edge. Men, guys, this series is really for us. And I have been looking forward to starting this series uh, this week. I, I really believe God has something for us to learn uh, as guys through this series. And, and wives, Girlfriends, you'll be glad that your man uh, is here uh, during this series. And I, and I want to challenge our men that you would commit to being here for over the next four weeks as we study this man's life uh, together. As I said, I think there's so much more for us to learn. And I'm really praying that God will raise up godly men who will be leaders in our families, in our church, and in our very own city. A lot of people know a few little things about Samson. I'm hoping by the end of the series, a lot of us will know a lot of things about a man named Samson. Samson's accomplishments are legendary, and so are his failures. Most of us, when we hear the name Samson, we think of long hair and bulging uh, biceps. But there's so much more to this man than just those two descriptions. He had the whole package, some would say. He's living the American dream. Maybe we'd call it the Canadian dream. He's young. He's strong. He's uh, good-looking. He's cocky. He's a leader. He's an intellectual. He's courageous. He's debonair. He had an eye for the ladies and a nose for trouble. If he was living in the 21st century, he would be on the front cover of People's Magazine, Sexiest Man Alive. He'd be all over the tabloids. He'd be a photographer's dream. And all the church girls would try to change his bad boy ways. God gave so much potential for doing right and being right and living right. So much potential for godliness. As Craig Rochelle says, he was incredibly strong but dangerously weak. And Samson's greatest enemy was Samson himself. He seemed to sabotage everything in his life, and his strength turns into a, a distraction. And quite frankly, I can relate to Samson, because how many times have I, have, have I said, why did I mess that up again? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I have to have the last word? Why was I so impatient I begin to realize that the greatest threat in my life is most oftentimes the person I look at in the mirror. And Samson's represents the temptation that every man, that's you and me, have living in 2019. If we could boil it down to one statement that Samson lived by, it would be this statement that he, he lived to please himself. 
He's not going to let anyone get in his way. Not his parents, not his friends, not even God. I'm going to live the way that pleases me. He's the strongest man in the Bible, yet on the flip side, he's like one of the weakest men in the Bible. He could spot an enemy a mile away, but wasn't able to see the demise from the woman who laid in the bed next to him. There are times that you look at Samson's life and you see the potential for greatness, and other times all you see is a self-centered man living the life of a playboy. There's actually a lot that we can learn uh, from this guy. Sometimes we only think of maybe the story of Samson fooling around with a girl named Delilah. You know, Tom Jones made that a big song. Remember that one? My, my, my Delilah. I think there's a lot of lessons we're going to be able to learn from Samson's life. I think it's going to be very applicable for men living in this generation. Very simply stated, Samson can give us insights as to why strong men fail, why strong men become weak. How many men do we know in our life that were strong and talented and gifted and failed? How many men do we know in our lives who were strong, gifted, and talented, and godly and failed? Maybe brought a little bit of disgrace on themselves and their families. Such things are not just reserved for public figures and for celebrities. It happens to men like you and and me. In fact, Samson is our story. And the story of Samson is recorded for us in Judges chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. And I really want to encourage you over the next couple of weeks that if you would take time to read those four chapters multiple times, I think there's going to be a lot for us to be able to pick up and learn uh, together. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, or some kind of electronic device that you can follow along, would you turn to the book of Judges? Judges chapter 13, if the Bible's fairly new for you to navigate, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, toward the beginning part of your Bibles. Now before we look into uh, that, and before we begin to read those opening verses, I want to describe to you a period of time in which Samson is living. It's considered a very, very dark period in Israel's life. It's a period that you look back and you cringe because you can't believe you acted that way or allowed that to happen. And every nation has its dark periods. Canada has its dark periods. Uh, Some would consider 1869 to 1930 a very dark period because it was during that time that 100,000 children were sent from the United Kingdom to Canada to be cheap labor on farms and cheap domestic labor. And what happened, so many of those children were split up from their families and put in abusive families. And some would say it was a very dark period in Canada's history. Some would consider 1939 a dark period in Canada's history because you know what, because of our immigration law, when a ship in 1939 came to Halifax, Nova Scotia with 900 Jews who escaped out of Nazi Germany, because of our immigration policy, we wouldn't let any of them get off the ship and we sent them back to Europe, back to Germany, where one-third of them died in concentration camps. Not a proud moment 
in Canada's history. We think of the residential schools and some of the stuff that took place in that. Or what about the expulsion of the Japanese Canadians who were put in internment camps and their homes and their business were sold to pay for their time in the internment camps? These are just a few of, the, of some of the dark moments in our own nation's history. But this period of time in which Samson is living is a very dark time for Israel because the Bible describes right from the very beginning of Judges all the way through Judges, it said it was a period of time where everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone was their own judge. Men and women did whatever felt good. Hey, if it feels good, well then, hey, I'm going to do it. No thought of how it might affect others. It was a time where people really only thought of themselves. No boundaries, no one to say no, no authority to answer to, no one to bring civil order. It was a time, really, of total chaos in the land of Israel. In fact, right there in the opening verse of chapter 13, it says, Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines. Notice this, and again they did evil in the sight of the Lord. See, that was the cycle. You may recognize that cycle because maybe it's true in our own lives, but here's the cycle of Israel. They're, they're living for God. They're following his ways, and eventually they just began to slip away, and before you know it, they kind of fall into deep sin. They do evil in the sight of the Lord, and God has them... Uh, captured or overtaken by the enemy and all of a sudden they're in, in captivity and years go by and finally they cry out to God and God delivers them again. And this goes, oh, goes, happens over and over and over. And so now we're in this time where it's, it's happened again. The Israelites are in captivity. They've been like that for 40 years because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Well, let's continue the story. It says, there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold now, you are barren and you have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now therefore be careful not to drink of wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing, for behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the, room, the womb. The story starts off with a modern-day problem. Here's a couple who's struggling with infertility. There is no medical help to make things better. It was what it was, hopeless. And that's what they're facing until an angel of the Lord appears and tells this woman, you're going to give birth and your baby boy is going to be a Nazarite from birth. What the heck is a Nazarite? If you have any time, you can read Numbers chapter 6. It kind of describes what a Nazarite is. But in short, a Nazarite is someone who is set apart for God. And Nazarite would take a vow of three things. One is he wouldn't drink 
any alcohol. That was a vow that he would take. That means no Olins, no Moosehead, no Alexander Keith, no Budweiser, no Carlsberg, no Coors Light, no Guinness, no Labatt's, no Miller Light, no Molson's or Coronas or margaritas at your Mexican dinner or any wowsers from the refined fool. Okay. It was off limits. It was not to touch his lips. It was not to consume it. In fact, the Bible says nothing from the vine. That's how it describes. So I'm going to assume that means no grapes, no raisins, nothing from the vine. That was his first vow. No alcohol. The second one is that he wasn't to touch anything unclean, uh, anything that was dead and had been defiled. So you don't touch that. And then the third thing was that he would not cut his hair. Some people have asked, is Bobby Lane a Nazarite? <laughs> Has he cut his hair ever, right? I sometimes joke with him. I say, he's living my dream. As a teenager, I wanted to take that vow, the Nazarite vow, so I could keep my hair long. But really, a Nazarite vow, the, the long hair, it was an outward sign to people that he had been set apart for God. Much like uh, married couples, although they'll wear a wedding band. And so guys, when you see a woman with a, you know, with a wedding band, you know she's off limits. Women, when you see a man with a wedding band, you know, hey, he's off limits. He's made a vow to another. Or she's made a vow to another. Hands off. These are three restrictions were a sign of separation to God. What was unique about uh, Samson is that he was to be a Nazarite from birth. A, a Nazarite vow, many people took Nazarite vow, but oftentimes they were temporary. Some would maybe take it for three months, or they would take it for six months, and most people knew it as a temporary. But here he is to be a Nazarite from birth. In fact, there's only three people that are, that are mentioned in the Bible to take this same. All three had miraculous births. All three were born to uh, a couple that struggled with uh, infertility. And all three of their sons were to be Nazarite. Samuel was one. Remember his mom, Hannah, couldn't, couldn't have children. She prayed to God, and all of a sudden, one day, God gave her. And Samuel was to be a Nazarite right from birth. She was told what she was to eat and not eat and drink. And, and John the Baptist's wife, remember Elizabeth and Zachariah, they couldn't have children. And uh, miraculous, a miraculous birth took place, and John the Baptist was a Nazarite. Not to drink of that, not to touch anything dead. I brought along with me, just to give you um, a good understanding, I brought along with me a playpen. This is very, very helpful to young families. In fact, I need a young dad here. Any young dads that could help me out on this? Because I can't put it together, actually. <laughs> or I'll call an old dad who may has no experience in this. You're taking your chances. Oh, oh James Charlton sitting back there. Come on up here. Would you do me a favor and just assemble this? Yeah, exactly. That's what I do.
No, I, actually, it isn't good enough. I need it put together. <laughs> Pull the center up again. Pull the center up again. The bottom, right there. Right there. Oh, there's always people out there who will help, but they won't do it. Thank you, James. Give that man a hand. This right here is a lifesaver uh, for those with young families. Mom and dads really like this. You know, maybe you're, you're in the kitchen, you're trying to hold your child and you're trying to make, but you need both hands. And so what do you do? You go and you put the child in the playpen because it's safe there and you're able to accomplish what you need to get done that day, finish the task at hand. Uh, the... the, the the playpen sets boundaries uh, for the child, boundaries that keep the child safe. But as the child grows and develops motor skills, the child begins to feel a little restrictive. And you were told as a child, it's a playpen. We put all your fun toys in this. This is a place that you can have fun. But then finally the child realizes, no, it's a prison. And I'm a prisoner. You can call it a cage, many different things, but at the end of the day, it's a cage that's keeping me restrained. And after you've been enlightened as a child with the truth, you rebel by yelling at the top of your lungs that your mom or your dad or an older brother, an older sister, grandma, grandpa, opa, oma, or even crazy Aunt Margaret would come and lift you out of that playpen and set you free. But as soon as you are free, you discover there are more boundaries. Go to bed. You can't watch that on TV. No tattoos for you. Be home by 10 o'clock. And you just kind of hold your breath until you're 18 years of age because then freedom will come. And then all of a sudden you realize there's more boundaries. There's speed limits to obey. Deadlines for uh, assignments. Restrictions. Uh, for those who are on an elite sports team, health restrictions set to you by the doctor. I mean, it just never ends. And these boundaries are designed to keep us safe and to keep us on track and out of trouble. And so when God sets boundaries for men, it's for our own safety. It's to keep us on track. It's to keep us out of trouble. God did not send, set boundaries for men so they couldn't have fun. No, it was to keep us from spinning out of control. And to keep us out of trouble. And to keep us on track. When we study the life of Samson, you'll discover that there were times that Samson respected God's boundaries when it suited him. But the rest of the time, he did whatever he wanted. He wasn't afraid of getting in trouble because he believed his great strength would bail him out of every predicament that he found himself to be in. Guys, does that sound familiar? I can handle it. What are you talking about? I can handle it. I'm strong enough. Maybe you know a guy like that. 
maybe we are guys like that. I can handle it. Now, Samson is the, uh, the typical alpha male. He, he's gutsy, he's daring, he's impulsive, he's reckless, he's carefree. These qualities are not all bad when they're under control with the boundaries. They, they make great leaders. You see, Samson didn't wake up one day and just trash his Nazarite vow. No. It's all very subtle. Very subtle as he gradually slipped into patterns of life that created a series of compromises. And I'm sure at the end of every one, he said, I can handle it. I'm strong enough. I can handle it. I got it all under control. In the meantime, he's jumping over guardrails and trashing the fences that are all around him for his own safety. Men. Gentlemen. What are you handling right now? What boundaries have you crossed in the pursuit of maybe money, power, desires? What are you doing right now that you have to hide as you handle it? What are things that you're doing right now handling that that you have to keep away from your wife and children because if they knew. What are we handling right now that if our buddies knew it could actually jeopardize our friendship with him? See, strong men have a great confidence in their ability to handle things and often will disregard boundaries. But boy, they do so at great risk. And Samson is a great example to us men what eventually happens when we disregard boundaries. I'm from Nova Scotia, bred in Nova Scotia, beautiful province, 4,000 kilometers of oceanfront, beautiful place. It's one of the most photographed um, places in the world is the... Lighthouse, one of the lighthouse in Nova Scotia, one of the most photographed in all the world. It's located in Peggy's Cove. Population, 30 people. It soars, though, in the summertime to 35. <laughs> and thousands of people flock there to see this, this beautiful lighthouse. But what is very interesting, almost every year people die at Peggy's Cove Lighthouse because they disregard the boundaries. I mean, how many people have been swept away at Peggy's Cove because they didn't obey the signs that said rocks are slippery and rogue waves come unannounced? How many times have I been to Peggy's Cove and I see people way down close to the water where it's black, where all the um, seaweed is, where it's really slippery and it just takes one wave to come? And some people think, well, I can handle it. I'm a strong swimmer. They don't realize the undertow that just takes them right out to the ocean. Even though there's signs posted everywhere, don't go beyond this point. But how many people say, well, I can handle it. I can can handle that. 
When I lived in Virginia, I lived very close to the Potomac uh, River, and, and near my house was the Great Falls uh, Potomac River Park. It was a beautiful park, and, and one day my sister and I were doing some rappelling along some of the, the cliffs there. And when you enter into the park, there is a sign right at the front entrance of the park, and it tells you how many people died last year in the park. That's your opening welcome. You know, five people died, nine, you know, six people died last year, eight people died last year. Why? All because they did not obey the signs. They stepped over the boundaries. In fact, there's one sign down by the river, and I remember seeing it, and this is what it said. If you enter the, enter the river, you will die. And guess what? People died every year in the river because they thought they could handle it. Oh, I can handle that. I'm up for some fun. I can handle it. And what happens is sometimes for us guys and for people in general, we step over the boundaries. It becomes our personal slogan, I can handle it. It's not a problem for me. How many people in their life have wreaked havoc and destruction just because they wanted to have a little fun. We underestimate the danger. We intend to stay just for a little while, but then sin grabs and gets a hold of us and won't let us go. Samson is case in point. Samson's just a fun-loving guy looking for a little bit of excitement, no big deal. <laughs> On one particular night, he's He's lying in bed with a prostitute in enemy territory and his enemies surround the house and under the cover of darkness he escapes. He's so close to being caught you would have thought that would have slowed him down, caused him to reevaluate what he was doing, that it would bring him to his senses. But no, I can handle this. Strong men have this propensity to disregard boundaries. And Samson is a great example. When, when we're strong, we, we, we fail, we fall into the deception that we can handle it this time. And because sometimes our strength has been able to get us out of trouble, we think we can do it again in every situation. And when you study this man, Samson, you discover that when uh, his strength had gotten him out of trouble before. I mean, one day he's surrounded by his enemies and as the Bible says he killed a thousand men on his own with a bone from a donkey. It had gotten him out of trouble before. It's going to get him out of trouble again. In fact, there's, there's a story where there's a lion there and he, and he rips the lion in half. Hey, his strength had gotten him out of trouble before. It will get me out of trouble again. I can handle it. When, uh, the first time I ever went to India... Uh, we were staying at an orphanage. It was all uh, walled off, gated high walls. And, and I said to the owner, or the person who was running the orphanage, I said, am I allowed to go out like, through the gate and just walk down the road? Is that, is that safe? Oh, yeah, 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 no problem. Just stay on the road. I said, okay. No, Donald, stay on the road. <sighs> hey, I'm a law-abiding citizen. I'll stay on the road. And so I'm walking down the road, this dirt road, and, and all of a sudden the, the orphanage got way in the distance. I could barely see it. And somewhere, there was no gate, there was no wall. All of a sudden, there was a sign on the road that says, you are now entering a tiger reserve. 
I'm like, what? There were no signs to tell me that. I looked out and I could see tall grass. I knew lions and tigers like to roam in the tall grass and they're the top of the food chain. And I was pretty plump that day. I just remember running with cheetah-like speed back to safety behind the, the gate and the high walls. I was terrified to think that, you know, a, a lion in the wild would get a hold of me, and yet here's Samson with his bare hands handling it. So why wouldn't you think you're invincible? Yet on the other hand, because he couldn't control his strength, one day he killed 30 innocent men just to settle a bet that he had. He squandered so much potential because of stupid living. And I see that potential for danger for us as men. Squander potential because sometimes just stupid decisions of the way we end up living. Sometimes we squander our potential simply because we thought we could handle it. Why do so many strong men fall? Why do strong men become weak? Because they disregard boundaries. They jump over boundaries time and time and time and time again. And Samson did it and finally it caught up to him. And at the end of his life, He's doing hard labor in the Philistine prison. He's blind, not because of a degenerated eye disease, because they had plucked his eyes out. And he's in bondage. He's exhausted. He's staggering around. He's bumping into things. He's falling down. He's causing hysterical laughter among his captors. A man of incredible strength, a man who said he over and over and over again, I can handle this. I can do this on my own. And what do we find out? He's enslaved by the enemy. And not only was he enslaved, but when you study his life, he, he was shamed. I mean, obviously he brought shame upon his own family, his mom and dad, his friends, his countrymen. A mom and dad who loved him, who taught him different, tried to at different times, tried to correct him. But, hey, I can do this on my own. But he's not the only strong man that's fall, that falls. He's not the only strong man that became weak. Think of King David. Just for one night of pleasure, looks over the balcony, sees a married woman, but it's just one night. It's just one night. I'm the king. I can handle it. And you see how his life spiraled out of control. It happens in people with powerful positions. It doesn't take that long ago to think of the scandal with Bill Clinton just for a moment of pleasure. Or Tiger Woods and all of his sexual exploits. Strong men will fall when they jump over boundaries. Men, we will eventually fall when we jump over boundaries and trash the fences that have been put up for our own safety. 
I mean, let's just take for a moment and, and, and look at one of the encouraging things about the story. Every time he turns to God, God hears him. And God responds. Every time. And you can be sure that he will do the exact same thing for you. Maybe it's been a long time since you've lived with boundaries that you have forgotten the safety, the joy that there is in living within God's boundaries. Maybe you forget what it feels like inside when we live within God's boundaries. Guys, are there some boundaries that we need to rebuild in our life? Are there some boundaries that we have trampled because we thought we could handle it? Are there some boundaries that we need to set back up again and get back to the people and the place and the things where we once were in the will of God? Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. No sweeter words than that. I'll give you rest. You know, it's really, it's really interesting when you study this story of Samson. Samson's story starts off so good. I mean, he's got so much potential. He, he's got this miraculous birth and, and a visit from the angel of the Lord. You would think his story is going to end incredibly because he had so much potential and yet, that's not how it ended. Ever, ever read a book that, you know, you're really engaged by the book and you get to the end and you're so disappointed by the end? Or you ever watch a movie and you're like, really, you're just like, you're into it and all of a sudden it ends, you're like, what? Have you ever invested six years of your life into a miniseries like Downton Abbey <laughs> and been disappointed by how it ended? And you say to yourself, there's got to be more to the story than this. Well, that's kind of the story of Samson. For Israelites who would have been reading about this history, they would have been like, man, this story is going to be a great story, a miraculous birth, a man who's been set apart for God, a Nazarite. And you read a story and then you see how it ends. You're like, really? That's how it ends. Disappointing. The story of Samson teaches us that this world needed someone who is greater than a Samson. We might be strong, but we are not strong enough. And Samson is the last, the last book, or the last story in the book of Judges. And quite honestly, it ends a little disappointingly. A man who thought he could handle it. Well, 1,100 years later, Jesus of Nazareth would show up on the scene. And like Samson, he had a miraculous birth. Like Samson, he had incredible strength. The difference is his strength was over demons and disease and death. Like Samson, he was betrayed by someone who he considered as a friend and handed over to Gentile oppressors. Like Samson, he was shamed and put in chains and publicly displayed and mocked. Like Samson, his he would die with his arms stretched wide open. Like Samson, when it looked like he was defeated... 
by his enemies, he actually defeated the enemy. But unlike Samson, he was not put in chains because of his own sin. He was put in chains for my sin and for your sin. Samson was a strong man who in his own strength became weak. And then Samson's story reminds us once again, it's never too late to cry out to God. When Samson cries out to God, even in the lowest point of his life, he's blind, he's in bondage. At the lowest, the darkest part of his life, he cries out to God, and guess what? God hears. God hears. And God responds. I think that's why we can get excited about the mercy and the grace that is offered for, from a forgiving God. And forgiveness can be very hard to come by these days. Sometimes, you know, you mess up, you make a mistake, and there's no forgiveness. And here's a God who comes along someone who messes up, but when they cry out to him, he responds. For the promise of God is like the prodigal son's father. It's full of mercy and grace, and it stands to welcome us home. In just a few minutes, we're going to celebrate that grace, that mercy that was extended to us with communion today. And really, communion is designed for the believer, for those who have trusted Christ as their personal Savior. You know one thing I like about communion? It really slows things down. It gives us the opportunity to just to do some examination. Where do we stand? What boundaries, perhaps, have I crossed over this last week or in my life? What boundaries do I need to maybe rebuild in my life? That's what I like about community. We, we, it slows things down. We do some self-examination. Where do I stand before God? And of course, these elements are just a reminder of what Jesus did for us. He shed his blood. His body was broken for us. And it's designed for those who know Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus in a personal way, I'll tell you, there's no judgment call if you just let that pass by because it really is designed for the believer to focus again, to be reminded again what Jesus has done for us and to celebrate that. And as I said before, it's also a great opportunity to examine where, do, where am I right now? What boundaries have I thrashed, have I jumped over that I need to settle today you know, maybe you're here today, you just need a fresh dose of God's grace and God's mercy. The truth is, when you cry out to him, he offers it. So trust him today. Father, we thank you for a man like Samson. We can study his life, we can learn from his life, and we can see that we were in a greater need of someone that was far greater. And someone finally came who was greater who would come and deliver us from our sin. And his name is Jesus. And this morning we celebrate that today.